There we go. Good morning, Grace Redeemer. It's uh, my pleasure to be here with you this morning from your daughter. Your daughter is now eight. Your daughter church, All Souls Community Church, she's not a baby anymore. Uh, and I imagine that uh, some of you have uh, came here uh, long after All Souls. It was, it was a church that was started out of here and is now in Suffern, New York, just north of, of the border in Mawa, New Jersey. And I am one of the pastors there, and I've had, I have the privilege this morning of worshiping with you. It's one of the glorious things that kind of Ken just testified to is that we have this bond. It's deeper than any other. So when we come together in Jesus' name, it's glorious. Even if we just met each other today or we've known each other all of our lives. And I'm grateful to have that privilege, that joy with you here this morning. Um, uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Father, um, I thank you um, that you have received our worship this morning, that you have invited us to come in by your grace that we've sung about, that we've read about. And in that same grace now, Lord, address us. Speak, O oh Lord. We thank you that in a world in which there are so many words, so many idle words, useless words, careless words. There is a word of truth, a word of life, a word of salvation, a word who became flesh. And I pray that through this time, Lord, that we would humble our hearts and our minds would be open and that you, we would listen and that we would follow after that one, that word who became flesh, Jesus, um, as a result. And it is in his name we pray, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So if you if you Google, if you do a search for the word love, you get over 8 billion results. As far as I can tell, through my expert, painstaking, very expensive research, that's more than any other word or phrase that you could search for. More than, more than, more than health, more than work, more than food, more than life itself. I think life itself is num life is number two, but that's like over a billion fewer results, seven billion, and ten as of this week, and it just keeps going up. So love is something that um, the world is interested in. We want to be loved. We want to know what love is, right? Isn't that what foreigners saying? I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I won't sing that frequent. Maybe I might. I might be so inspired throughout the sermon. What did the Beatles sing? All you need is love. Love is all you need. And so this is the universal cry, the universal quest. But I want to ask a specific question this morning to begin to enter into our time. Um, and that is, what, is, um, what does love uh, require? What does love require? Um, how do you love someone who is... Um, addicted to a particular substance? How do you love someone who is angry or manipulative or lazy? What, is, what does love require then? How do you love someone who's depressed? What, is, what does love require in, in that circumstance? How do you love someone who is, who is trapped behind enemy lines? How do you love someone who's enslaved and, capture, and captured but who thinks her captor and enslaver is her friend when that person actually wants to destroy her. 
So just by asking those questions, you can see that love is, you know, maybe you hear that word and, and you get a romantic vibe or just a warm feeling. But you can see just by virtue of sort of really digging, entering into the subject, it's going to require more than that. It's going to require than, hey, man, you just be you. I just, just be the way you are. That's not going to get it done in situations that I just described and, and a million others that you can imagine or that exists in your own lives or across the world. And so our passage this morning unfolds for us what love requires. So let, let me read that for us and what love is. So this is First uh, John. Our passage this morning is for, uh, for John's first letter towards the end of the New Testament, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, and you can follow along on the screen. The translation I'm reading from is a li little different from the one you have in the Bibles in front of you. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. And so this is, this is, uh, this is a letter from the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples towards the latter part of the first century. It's written to a community of Christians in, uh, in Ephesus, which is now in the the country we know as Turkey. So that's the geographical locale. This is, this is a community that John had invested in, that he had taught, that he had loved, that he had, that he had lived among. And this letter is really all about love. The word love appears in this letter 26 times in the five chapters. Now that is more, more love per capita than any other book in the Bible. 5.2 times a chapter. So this letter is all about love, and yet it contains statements that are urgent and even seemingly severe to us. Right? Even you kind of might have sensed that from our reading. Why such statements? Because that's what love requires. That's what's needed. The Apostle John's readers, and we by extension over 1900 years later, are in danger. We're in trouble. There's a danger that's both outside of us and inside of us. And that danger is this. That we will be separated from love, from the one who is love, fully, finally, and completely. That we won't be able to even, that we will not be able to find it. It will not be accessible to us forever. Because the one who is love 
we have been separated from him. That's the urgency that's causing the Apostle John to write as he does. So he speaks with clarity throughout his letter. He speaks of, and we, in our uh, renewal reading this morning, we got a taste of this, because that was from 1 John as well. So he speaks of good and evil, life and death, light and darkness, truth and lies, love and hate. And he clearly contrasts these two things and says, this is life, this is death. This is true, this is false. You must know the truth and discern what is not true. And the reason he does that is because he's speaking with clarity, right? The devil is the so is a sower of confusion. He wants things to be murky, to be muddy. Oh, who's to say? I don't know, your opinion, my opinion. There's, there is no truth. The truth is however you're feeling right now. Right? All of that is muddy and murky and confusing. But God who loves us speaks with clarity about those things on which our lives depend. The question for us is, will we listen? So let's endeavor to do that with his help now as we enter into our passage. Our passage begins with the word in verse 1. If you could just move to that uh, verse 1, the next slide. See. It begins with see. How do you, if you want somebody to pay attention, what do you say to them? Say, look, look over here. So that's what John is saying. He's saying, look. But he, what he's saying is actually in another translation that might be more familiar to you, it says, he says, behold. So his point isn't just sort of take a glance and then move on. He's saying, look and keep on looking until you get it. Don't do anything else until you get this. This is the thing that must captivate your soul and, and fill your mind and run orient your life. And so what is that? What kind of love the Father has given to us? Every word of that phrase matters because that's what must take hold of us. Now, right away, right, there's a kind of love that's given, meaning what? If, if my starting point, if your starting point is, I know what love looks like. I know what it is. I just need you, oh God, and you, everyone else, to agree with me and give it to me. We're not in a posture to receive anything because we already think that we have the thing that we, we desire. We start out saying, I know what kind of love I need. I know what kind of love there is. I know what love is. I just need you, oh God, to help me out, to do your part. Friends, that's not receiving. That's not being... To, to receive something, you must come with an open hand and say, you, O oh Lord, give to me what you bring. You are the author of love, and I am here to receive. But when we come with that other posture, we're not in a position to receive anything because we come believing that we know what it is that we are to receive, and therefore we cannot even begin to receive it in the first place. So this is a, a quote from Colin Hansen, who is... Um, uh, a writer, an author, Christian commentator. He says, the key theological question for our secular, secular age then is this. Does God get to be God? The answer even for many self-described Christians is no, only on our terms. You really only have two options in a secular age. Either God is for you on your own terms or God sets the terms. Or to put it in the ways our passage talks about, either you define love I define love and demand it on my own terms, on your own terms, or we receive the kind of love that the Father gives. 
kind of love the Father gives. Now, you please see the freedom in this. Because we are always, where did, where's the first place that we look for love? We look within. We look, am I loving? Am I being loving enough? Am I being loved? Is, and we're, so we're looking within and we're looking without, and we are always in question. We are always distressed. We are always falling short with respect to our own efforts because we're not as loving. We're not love, come on. Right? But we're also finding that we can't get enough love from other people or from this world. And God says, rest. Receive. Open your hands. Open your heart. It does not depend on you. It never depended on you. If it depends on you, you won't get it. But will you receive the kind of love that I give? So I think of, think of Abraham. Those of you who know the Bible, and if, if you don't, right, Abraham appears early in the Bible where basically as the world has gone astray, God comes to this guy, Abraham, in, in the Middle East, basically, in, or in what's now Iraq, and he's like, hey, you. Yeah, you, Abraham, come here. You're my guy. I want you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be with you. And he, and he, he says this thing at the beginning of Genesis 12. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Now, on his best day, in his wildest imagination, could Abraham have ever conceived of such a thing? If it were up to him, if he was the author of love, if he got to determine what love looked like, if he got to determine what God should do for him, could he have ever have conceived of such a thing? Of course not. Who would ever think of something so ridiculous? that the whole world will be blessed through me. <laughs> yeah, and it's happened. That's why we're all here. Because God fulfilled his promise to Abraham as he fulfills his promise to you. It's better, it's higher, it's wider, it's deeper, it's longer than anything you could ever, ever ask, imagine, or think, but you must receive it. Because God defines it, and then he gives it to you. Okay, great. So what is it? Well, we kind of have been singing about it and praying about it and reading it in the scriptures all morning. And in the case of this letter, 1 John, everything that sort of before our passage and after our passage, John over and over says, this is, how, this is what love is. So 1 John 2, 23, uh, next slide. He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also, meaning what? Meaning the, the Father, the kind of love the fathers give comes through the Son. In other words, to receive the Father's love, you must receive the Son. Keeps on going. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. It's a self-giving love. It's a sacrificial love. It's, it's, it's the love of God in his sacrifice. 1 John 4, 9-10. to In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, difficult word, the sacrifice for our sins. Only through Jesus can you know the love of the Father. If we look for love elsewhere, if we look to see if we are loved, if we look to see, to, to find love, right? Over 8 billion results, people are crying out, they're searching, they're knocking. This is the answer. 
you stand at the door and knock here and you will be answered. If you seek, you will find. Because he came to find us. Love came to us. We do not find love. Love comes to us in the person of God came down and put on flesh to be love among us and then to show us that love and to be that love by laying down his life for us and and rising again. Why? Because that's what love required. Our our plight, our danger, our our peril, our demise (laughs) required nothing less than what happened in Christ. We needed him to, 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 plunge, to put on our life, our flesh, and plunge down into death and hell and rise again. That was, that's how awful our situation was and is, and that's the, that's the depths of God's love in providing for us what we could never, again, imagine, create, conceive of, or do anything on our own to achieve. This is the gift. It is the gift of God's love. The kind of love the Father gives is the gift of Jesus Christ, which means that we must, it is Jesus as he is, not Jesus, right? Because if we put anyone else alongside Jesus, we muddy the waters, right? If we say, well, he's just another good man in the pantheon of good people, good people through history, that doesn't make it, that makes it, that goes back to, removing the clarity. And ultimately, that's not who he is. We are not receiving him as he is. He is the incarnate son of God who's come among us to accomplish for us what he does in his death and resurrection. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? This is the kind of, this is what John is telling us to look at and to behold over and over and over. Do you want to know what love is? Foreigner's song. I want to know what love is. Well, here he is. And then John continues, right? So he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. He's amazed by it. He's saying, this is who we, this, we're children of God. It's really true. It's really true. And it's, and, it's, and it's hard to believe. But God's account, the reality is, goes, you were lost. You were astray without God. You were, we were without family, ultimately and finally. Without God and without hope in this world. And he comes and he finds us and he brings us in. He says, he says you are mine. You are my child. I, I do everything for you. I pour out my, I am your father, your perfect father. Now, for some of you, that word father carries with it a sense of absence, what might have been, a sense of pain, a sense of loss, a sense of even distress. For some of you, for others of you, that word father is a pleasant word. It's a word of pleasure. It's a word of fond memories. It's a word, it's a word of, that indicates being cared for. Either way, the error that we are prone to make is to start out with our father and his failure or his blessing, and then impose that image on God. In that case, we have it backwards. He is is the perfect father. He is what every father ought to be, but no father is. He is the whole, he is, he is the one who is, who is, loves you in the exact way that you need to be loved every moment you live and breathe, whether you feel like it or not, because it's not 
It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't depend on you. Your interpretation, your experience doesn't determine reality. It is the character of God, his love, that he's shown you in Christ. That's why he says, look, look over here. You want to know how much I love you? Well, here, here is Jesus. I sacrificed my son. So again, if you have any doubts, keep looking to Jesus and know that every moment, what I've started in him, I will bring to completion and I will not fail my promise to you. I love you with that kind of love. Keep looking, and, and, but know this reality. You are my child. And for friends, for those of you who had fathers who weren't what they ought to be, why do you know that? Why do you have that sense? Because there's a father who is. You have a sense of a perfect standard that, that exists somewhere out there that was not lived up to. Well, God, your father, has come to provide that for you in Christ. Do you have that kind of love? Do you know that kind of love? Friends, I pray that you would. Oh, see, oh, Ask God to reveal himself to you in this way, this morning, at this time. Say, Lord, I don't have that kind of love, but I want to know that love. I want to know you in the way that you reveal yourself. Okay, so continuing in verse 1. Um, let's see if we can just go to the next slide. Uh, maybe not. All right, I'll just read this. Verse 1, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. There it is. If you take the Father's love and put it at the center of your life, you're going to be weird. You're going to be different, not because you aspire to be, but this is because at the core of your identity, with respect to that which matters most, you are different. There's something distinctly different about you. The question is, can you live with that? Because social conformity is a very, very powerful force. Is it not? We don't really want, we want to get along. We don't want to be different. And maybe in some cases, maybe the thing that kind of drives us is we want our children to get along. We're afraid of their being different or distinct or missing out we live in a, in a society of plenty, of great opportunity, and, and we want them to have that. And the, what John is, the Apostle John is putting here before us is he's saying that cannot be what governs you. And actually, if you have the kind of love the Father gives, that is not what governs you. It's not your identity. It's not what marks your life. It's not what runs your life. That can't be the determining. And so what is it? What's going on? We're afraid. That's the reality is we're afraid of being different. And John says in 1 John 4, he says, well, what, what, what addresses that fear? He says, perfect love casts out fear. He brings it back to love. He says, if you're afraid of, of this distinction, if you're afraid of being weird, or if you're afraid of being different, Know who you are. Know the love that the Father has given to you, and that drives out that fear and allows you to live out your identity and calling. And here's what I believe. It's a dangerous thing for a preacher to say. Um, I believe, I, I propose to you, how about that, that unspoken and maybe unconscious in the pressure to conform, is a testing. There's a testing to see that it, is there actually a love out there that can stand the pressure? 
Is there something out there that, can, that can, will stand no matter what? Is there a love that's worth giving everything up for? So even as the pressure comes, the pressure is saying, will you stand? I'm actually testing you. Because if you do, if you actually do stand, then I'm interested. Because actually, none of us want to be conformists. We want to be free. And when the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. The way the world will know him is by our knowing him and seeing that we don't, we're not afraid of what, anything the world brings our way. Continuing, verses 2 to 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Having an end result in view, I think, um, is necessary, right? We need to sort of have a reason to do something. We need to have an aspiration, a goal. We need to know that we're headed somewhere. So I was, I was attending a, um, a graduation at a secular university earlier this year, and again, I'm not down on Secu University. I happen to pay tuition to one, so, you know. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, but, but the thing that sort of what struck me about this particular ceremony, it was just, it was, it was what struck me. I'm not saying they're all like this, but this was palpable here, was the absence of meaning. It, I, it just wasn't about anything. There was no, there was no weight to it. There was no glory. There was, there was triviality. There was an effort to say things, but... They, it was empty and it was cliche and it was and it just sort of just fell and no one was it just what it was missing was it was missing meaning and purpose that's what it was missing friends that absence of meaning and purpose is the absence of true love it is and when you when true love is missing then we will look for it somewhere we will give ourselves to any number of false loves whether it be some cause, some, some identity, some relationship after relationship, we will give, we will look for it, to, for, but we will not find it. What's the goal of our lives? Why, what's, what, why, or why? What's the answer to the why? Well, here it is. To become more and more like Jesus. It's to become more and more. That, it, is that not a reason to get up in the morning? Is that not something to, to go after, to, to, to pursue? And, and here, this is Romans 8, 28 to 29. Familiar passage or uh, verses to some of you. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is the good that's in this passage? What is the good that all things are working towards? What is it? To be conformed to the likeness of his son. When we say all things are working out for, that's the good that everything is working towards. That's the good that God is moving. Heaven and earth, every circumstance in your life, even your your own sin and you're turning away for it in, in confession and you're rising to new life. He's working out all things to make you more like and more like Jesus. And then when Jesus returns, 
He's going to look at you and he's going to see himself. He's going to see himself and you are going to look at him and you're going to see him as he is. And what you're going to realize is that it was all worth it. It was all worth it. Nothing was lost. Nothing was meaningless. That he has has been loving you. The one who has loved you from before time began has been putting that love upon you every moment that you lived and breathed and working all things for towards that moment when you shall see him and you will be like him. For you will see him as he is. And every and, th- and this is this is the hope that gives you strength. Everyone who, ha- who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the indestructible hope. This is the thing that you go after every single day you live and breathe. Because in this hope, you have the power to say no to the false loves and embrace the one true love over and over and over again. Now, <laughs> The second part of our passage is, um, can we just turn to the next slide? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to speak from this. It seems like it's taking the turn. But I think what this is saying is this, and I'm going to be short here, uh, but I think it's important. What is sin? What, what sin does is that it cuts you off from love. It's not that our our not sinning is why God loves us, or is it a basis for our, for God's love? But sin makes our experience of His love unreal to us, because in sinning we are turning away from love. So we we sin and lawlessness and living in love don't go together. So when we turn away from from God from his love and, and do our own thing and live like I'm the master of my feet, I'm the captain of my soul, which is what lawlessness is, then God's love becomes, starts to become remote and distant and abstract and unreal to us. And that just then cultivates more sin in our lives. And, and, the part, and this is what the devil wants. This is why there's a reference to the devil here. Because he wants to cut you off from love. He comes to you and says, What's the big deal? Don't be so uptight. What are you, some kind of religious zealot? Come on. And then having wrested that, that sort of broken you away from him, he just continues to lead you down that path. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to, to break you free of that so that you would live in truth. The point of this passage isn't that you're perfect. We know that we're not. We're on the way there. The point is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And don't be deceived when you fall into sin that that's reality, that that, that that is the truth. No, wake up. Remember who you are. Don't be deceived. Turn away and live into your true identity as a child of God, living in love, living out your calling, living out the truth, living out what he has for you and giving you what only he can give you. And in loving one another is where that truth sings because we encourage one another in it. We remind one another of the love that the Father has given to us. See what kind of love 
that the Father has given to us, which we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Let's pray. Father, we are your children by your grace, by what you have done for us in Christ. Thank you for this amazing love that has been has permeated this entire time we have, you have given us together this morning. May we, may we be filled with it. May we know it. May we walk in it by the strength that you provide. For this is the true love that we yearn for, that we seek. And thank you for providing it to us, Lord. Thank you for giving us what love required. Thank you for delivering us from the danger that we are in and bringing us into the safety of your presence and goodness and love and power. In Jesus' name, amen.